Well, if you got your Bible, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is uh, where we're going to be today. We're actually hoping to finish the series today before brunch Sunday, but uh, last week, chapter 2, we kind of got right in the midst of it and uh, didn't want to get into the the final part that we're going to hit today, Uh, and so we're extending it, so we'll actually finish the series and do 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Sunday after brunch, Uh, and so we're extending it one week. But I am excited about uh, where we're going today. Last week was one of those times as we were journeying through and learning about the, the beginning part of this. It brought us to a point of where, we are, where we've all been before in life, of trying to live a balanced life where we really have to deal with negative influences that come into our life. When things start to saddle us, start to derail our lives, and all of a sudden we find our places and we never expected to be. Maybe you set out to accomplish something new only to have your efforts derailed or maybe there's an attitude or a character issue in your life that you needed to get past and changed and you can never really seem to get over it. Or maybe you found yourself in places of sin and darkness and you once thought you would never go near. We've all found our places like that. If we're honest, we all say that has happened in our life. We've gotten derailed. Negative influences have come into our life either knowingly or unknowingly and got us off track. Created to train issues in our life where we just can't seem to move forward and eroded our passion for, for the grace and peace of Christ. And what I want to do very quickly this morning is spend about five minutes catching us up, reminding us what that was and what happens in our life. And then we're going to look at the good news of that and how we get through that negativity in our life. Because when these start to show up in our life, certain things happen. And you've seen this before. You start to think ineffectively. You start to act immaturely. In our life, we really begin to live out of balance. When negative influence get going in our life, start to take the will and control of our life, you've seen it in your life. You've seen it in other people's lives. And you just say, what are you thinking? Right? I mean, how many times have you ever said that to your child or to your spouse or to a friend or to somebody else? And you're literally like, what are you thinking? Sometimes negative Thoughts, negative influence in our life causes us to go to our own selves. What am I thinking? I'm not thinking right, and I start acting immaturely, and because of that, my life just gets all out of balance. And the word that uh, Paul used to describe this, he talked about the man of lawlessness, that lawlessness takes root in our life. And we said that lawlessness was not this rioting and anarchy. It was actually meant that it's ruin or damnation. It's actually moving our life toward ruin, as there is people some knowingly and some unwittingly that are going to come into our life, situations, negative situations that are going to come into our life that are going to lead us to nothing but ruin. And we talked about that everything is not good in this world. Everybody's motives are not pure. Every way of thinking is not equal. There is a road to life and healing, and then there is a road to perdition, a road to ruin. And we said there were some mile markers along the way, and those first mile marker was was counterfeit content that somebody would begin speaking stuff into our life that was not true. It would seem almost true. It would start from truth, but then it would deviate. And that counterfeit content has this idea of fascination. It makes us fascinated. There's something out there, I don't know, some new content, maybe even about God, that I can learn that nobody else has learned, some hidden code. And the idea that we have to remember is this, is you don't have to find a secret passage to God because he has already cleared a straight path to himself for us to walk on. And then we said the second mile marker was this, this arrogant authority. 
this authority that begins to show up in our life and begin to isolate us, demonize already other authority, and it starts to create justification in our life. We'll do anything, start to say anything, act ways to justify any ends will justify, or the ends will justify any means in our life. And that the key thought we have to remember is this, is anyone who wants to make their voice louder and more influential than God in our life is an arrogant authority and is not one that we should put in our lives. And then the third mile marker we looked at is then this, this reimagined righteousness that starts to show up in our life. What was wrong starts to seem right. What was right starts to seem wrong. And we have this idea of being indoctrinated. There's a new indoctrination in our life. And instead of already living, living by the already revealed truth of God, we start looking at a different truth. Instead of allowing authorities to speak non-truths into our life, we have to live by the already demonstrated power of God. And the truth is we're all susceptible to this, every one of us. And we ended last week talking about times when we're most susceptible, and that's when we're times where we're either vulnerable, when things are going on in our life that just make us pain, pain is happening, or different things that just make us feel very vulnerable, when our life's unstable, when we feel like we don't know what's happening, or times of transition, and then times of intimacy, when we have a brand new relationship, when we're really connected deeply with somebody else and we allow them to speak into our lives. Vulnerability, instability, and intimacy can create moments where these negative influences can sneak into our lives. So, that was last week, and you're like, why did it take you 30 minutes to do that when you could do it in five minutes today? Because I told a lot more stories. But here's the deal. So, how can we make it through this dangerous pathway filled with negative influences? They are there. They're coming. They're going to happen. How can we do this without getting derailed? How can we get back on track if our lives have already been derailed by these negative influences? And this is what Paul finishes this chapter talking about. The balance that we're going to learn about. This balance, these two tracks that we have to stay on that will help us navigate these murky waters, these difficult, dangerous paths. And we introduced this last week. It's this balance between doing work and gaining wisdom. Doing work and gaining wisdom. This is the balance that we have to learn to develop in our life when these negative influences come. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 17. I'm going to read this, and then we're going to jump back and look at some of the key things that he says here. He says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. I love the very first word in this passage, but. He's like, but. Like, man of lawlessness, he's running around. Negative influences are coming all into your life. Everything could, you know, your life can get totally derailed if you're not careful. But, and I love this word in this passage because it is a word of hope. Paul says these negative influences are out there. You can't avoid them. Don't spend your life trying to destroy them or act like they aren't there. Instead, learn to live through them and live above them. 
If you seem surrounded by negative influences in your life right now, I want you to hear that there is hope to make it through and it won't derail you. If you're feeling right now that you're about to lose control, that your life is teetering on the edge of being derailed, I want you to hear this morning there is hope today to slow things down, bring things back under control, and start moving again in the right direction. If your life today has totally gone off the rails and negative influence has seemed to destroy your future and you don't see any path forward, this word but here says, I want you to hear today that there is hope. There is a way of getting back up, cleaning up the mess, and starting to move forward once again. This little word, but. But for something to happen, for us to get our lives back on track, to clean up the mess, to avoid these negative influences in our life, for that to happen, something has to change. Something has to change. And this is what Paul is going to walk us through in these next few verses. He's going to give us these two lifelines, lay down these two tracks of healing that can help any life get back on the rails and moving forward. But the truth is, when we look at these, we typically react in one of two ways. We either embrace works. Like we see work and we're like, all right, that is me. I know what I need to do. I just need to do better, right? How many of us have told ourselves that throughout our lives? I just need to do better. I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll do, but maybe you're dieting, right? And you had a bad day yesterday. I'll do better tomorrow, like, right? You know, and then you're like, no, nah, it's, it's almost Thanksgiving. I will do better in December. No, no, like Christmas is like January. And so like we just throw the rest of this year away about our food until January. And then like it's cold outside. I need a little extra fat to keep me warm. So I'll just add on a few. You know, there's always something has to change. But we've always told ourselves, I just have to do better. And we embrace this idea that works completely. It's all, it's all up to me. It's up to me to change my behavior, my attitude, my direction. And we can caught up in thinking that doing better, if I'll just try, it makes me try anything and everything. I hear something on the internet. I read this article. Somebody says, you know, reading this passage of scripture worked for them or praying this amount of time worked for them. I'll just do better. We try something, and if it doesn't immediately work, we just do something else. And we just keep digging and digging and trying. Hopefully, we're going to find the next pot of gold, the next buried treasure. I was reading a story this week. I think it was probably a satire story. I hope it was after I was reading it that this guy actually dug himself into a 12-foot hole because he had a metal detector and he it was going off crazy and he just kept digging and digging and digging and he found him 12, so 12 feet down in a hole when he realized the metal detector was actually detecting the metal in his steel-toed shoes. And so he was just digging and it was showing. He could, if we do that though sometimes. We're like, just one more, one more foot, one more thing. We just keep trying to do better and here's what we end up doing. When we, all we focus on is works, all we do is look inside. We just look inside. And go, I can solve my own problems. A drowning man cannot save himself. And the truth is, when we're lost, when our lives have gotten derailed, we need help. We need something beyond ourselves. So some of us embrace works. We're just like, I'm going to do better. Some of us just embrace wisdom. We go the other direction and say, I just need to get more understanding. I need to get more truth into my life and we embrace the idea of seeking wisdom and we start studying more praying more reading more talking to others listening to more sermons all the things we try to limit the negative voices only listen to the positive ones 
And we get so caught up in getting more understanding and we end up doing is learning more about things and never really making any change in our life. We add knowledge, but it doesn't ever work its way down into making change in our life. And to me, it's like a merry-go-round, right? We'll, we'll learn something. And a merry-go-round is fun, like the first couple times around. And then after that, it's just like dizzy and boy, and like, how many more? Like, again? Again? You know, and I mean, maybe as kids, we liked it. The last time I was on a merry-go-round, I'm like, this horse doesn't seem to move like it used to. Maybe I got on one of the ones that didn't move or something. But it's just our life does that sometimes when all we do is seek wisdom. Like, around the next corner, I'll find the right wisdom that then I'll get off of this thing and start doing something. But the thing about a merry-go-round, there's actually no corner, Right? We just keep going and we keep thinking the next, the next, the next, and we get caught up in this pursuit of wisdom. And the truth is we'll never have all wisdom. And if we keep thinking, once I get it, then my life will be right, it puts us in a bad spot too. Now here's the deal. Neither of these paths are bad, right? As a matter of fact, they are both vitally important. They are just incomplete if they are not used together. If wisdom and works are not together. The path of healing and hope is not found just in works or just in wisdoms. Instead, it is found in allowing wisdom and work to interact with each other and to bring about forward motion, again, that will deliver us and lead us through the darkness and negative influences of our lives. There's a, if you follow like uh, Marvel movies and comic book movies, I used to grow up watching Justice League and all that stuff. I love all all the superheroes. But there has been a movie I've been waiting for that has not come out yet. And this is where wisdom and wonder... Does anybody else remember the Wonder Twins? Wonder Twins? Anybody? Wonder Twin powers activate. And, like, one guy could turn into, uh, like, animal. And then I think the girl could turn into, like, all these different forms of water. And they could solve any problem. Right? I mean, she could be an eagle. Forrest is on fire. She's a, or he's an eagle. She's a bucket of water. And they solve it, you know? And this is what happens. This is wisdom and works. It is the wonder twins in our life. And when we activate both of those, we can solve problems in our life. We can overcome negative influences in our life. So let's jump into these and see what they are. The first one is we understand how do we begin to move forward by the cleansing of our souls. It says that we are saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in truth. So these are, we're going to see three couplets here that Paul puts out. In this first one, he says we are saved through sanctification by the Spirit and the belief in truth. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification means this. It means purification. It is the idea of constant cleaning. Not just taking a bath once you're dirty, although that's part of it. It means that allowing a constant flow of wisdom, truth, and healing words to flow into your life. The first step of washing away the negative influences in your life is to begin to surround yourself with a different influence, a redeeming influence. I used to, when we would clean dishes, like we would have Coke or tea or something to drink, I used to love to take that full cup or whatever was left over in that glass and stick it under the pure, clean water coming out under the faucet and let, like, let it fill up all the way until like the tea or the coffee or whatever was out and all that was left was the clear, pure water. I think I did that to waste time so that other people had to clean up the other dishes and stuff like that. But I just, it was this beautiful reminder of me of this is what sanctification is. It's not just removing bad things. 
It is the pouring in of positive that eventually moves those negative influences out and gets us thinking in a different way. This is the sanctification of the Spirit. And why does this, where does this come from? How do we do this? What is that faucet? I think there's three things in our life. One is prayer, talking to God, actually talking to God. We don't need a formula. You don't have to have a specific thing that you write every day to God. It's just spending time talking to God, allowing his voice into your life. The second thing I think we do is scripture. Start understanding God more. Allow scripture to reveal God's nature and his truth to you. Get into scripture. But the third thing is one of the things Robert mentioned is get into community. Get connected with other people. Start experiencing the body, the faith family of Christ together. Prayer, scripture, community, sanctification of the spirit. That's how we get wisdom. That is the beginning of wisdom. But then it says that we should then have a belief in truth. A belief in truth. This is the first step of works. We often think the first step of work is actually going, doing something externally. But can I tell you, the first step of works is actually doing something internally. The first step that you have to actually do is believe. This is a step of faith. But the truth is, you and I take a step of faith every day. We believe in something every day. We allow somebody to speak truth into our life every day. We're living our life by some truth. And the first step to healing and hope is to work out the idea that there is one truth and not I or any other man or woman are the source of that truth. That truth only comes from the creator and the author of life, God, outside of us. That truth is not found inside. It's found outside in God. What kind of truths do we need to start to believe? What are these anchors that he says have in our life? Believe there's a God who created you. Believe that God is good and wants good for you. Believe that sin is dangerous and will just bring destruction into your life. Believe that God doesn't want us to live in destruction. Believe that God provided a way of restoration and redemption through a sacrificial payment. Believe that Jesus' life, death, resurrection are the pathway out of destruction and back to God. Believe that through faith we can experience the salvation of Christ by confession and surrender. Believe that there is hope found in this restored relationship, not guilt, manipulation, or abuse. Believe that there is better for you and that you are not condemned to live a life of death and destruction. Believe that even in the pain of this life, we can experience hope and healing through any circumstances. The step, first step of work is to believe. Belief in truth. If we start doing these things, it starts to cleanse our spirit. Sanctification of the spirit and belief in truth. Wisdom and works. We start allowing those to pour in and we start anchoring our beliefs. The second thing we have to do to allow this to happen is to begin to have our vision become clear. Clearing our vision. It says to stand firm and hold to the traditions that were taught to us. Another couplet that he gives us here. And wisdom is this idea of standing firm. The challenge that we often face is one that we've experienced, once we've experienced sanctification in our lives, we like to wander back off. Like, all right, I got cleaned up. Let me wander back out in the world. I'll get dirty again. I'll come back in for a shower and I'll do it again. And we think that's sanctification. That's not what he's saying here. He's actually saying, once you've got cleaned up, now it's not our, that we have to run out and get dirty again. It's to allow these cleansing truths of God to be invested and held onto in our lives. And this is what he says to stand firm. Now, the idea of standing firm actually probably seems odd to us, especially in Western culture. We like the idea of advancement, right? I got to do more. This year's got to be better than last year. 
standing firm is actually dying or going backwards. We don't look at it as a positive. We've been told our whole lives to keep moving, do more, succeed, keep things moving up and to the left. Standing firm seems to go against everything about what it means to grow and get better. It sounds boring and lifeless. But Paul is not talking about stopping to live or stop doing. Instead, he is telling us to make sure we are securely attached to the truths of God before we head out into the choppy waters of life, before we face the storms of trials, before the waves of negativity try to knock us down. He says to stand firm. Hold on. Get strapped in. I'm not that good of a water skier. Like, I've never been able to do that, but I, well, the first thing I was taught was when you water ski is make sure your feet are securely attached to your skis. Like, it's not going to work if you are, like, maybe you can barefoot one day, but, but like, you've got to be firmly attached to your skis. And this is what Paul is saying. You're about to go on an incredible journey. Make sure you're strapped on good to these truths that are going to allow you to move forward. And one of the two things, the two straps or two skis, I think that he gives us that we're challenged with all throughout Scripture is this, vulnerability and accountability. I think those are our two skis. We've got to be vulnerable, honest with God and other people, not keeping the healing waters from flowing to anywhere in our life, but saying, God, whatever it is, whatever struggle, whatever it is, I love that song. He's bigger than I thought he was. He's not afraid of my questions. He's not fearful of what I'm going to bring up to him. I can be vulnerable to him, but I also need to be accountable. I need to have my life connected with somebody else who can say, that's sin, that's dangerous, be careful, you're starting to think in a bad way again. And they can, through accountability, encourage and keep me on track. These two things allow me to get strapped in for what's coming. Because what does he say? Stand firm so that you can what? He then said to hold to. Let's take that skiing analogy just a little bit further. What do you do next? If you're going to go skiing, you hold on to that rope, right? And then you get your arms yanked out of socket as you go flying through the water. And Paul, this is what Paul is telling us is going to happen. Paul tells us our next step in embracing work is to hold on to things. It's not running out and doing something. It's holding on to something, believing God and holding on to the beliefs that we just said we're going to put in our life. When we hold on to the truths and traditions that are not revealed by man but are revealed over history, it starts moving us along a path. And I love that idea. When you're water skiing, you're not the one in control of where you're going. Whoever's driving the boat is, right? And that's God in our lives. He's got these traditions. He's got these trajectory for our lives. And he's like, make sure you're strapped in and hold on tight. Because wherever we're going, I can lead you through it. Whatever you're facing, let me drive and just hold on and do what I tell you. What are those traditions and truths? These aren't man-made traditions. I think scripture over... A time has revealed multiple traditions. And the first one is this. Honor God and few others as created in his image and his likeness. It starts with honoring God and honoring other people. Second, love. Love the Lord. Love and allow his love to flow through you and love other people. There's no greater commandment. Forgive. Forgive as you have been forgiven. If you're feeling guilty or ashamed, it's often because we're holding those feelings toward other people as well. We're wanting them to feel guilt. And he says, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to feel forgiveness, forgive others. Honor, love, forgive, be peace. Be a peacemaker in the world. Don't bring strife. Instead, show peace in times of animosity, just as God did when we embraced sin and made him our enemy. And then finally, hope. 
live with a knowledge that there is no situation or circumstance beyond the healing power of God. Your brokenness and the brokenness of this world is not permanent. There is hope. What are the traditions we ski on? What are they we're holding on to? Honor, love, forgiveness, peace, and hope. So that's clearing our vision, moving us forward. And then finally, he ends with this. Is that we should experience comforting for our hearts. It says, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and every good word. When he says good word here, that's wisdom, right? Paul says that we should embrace every good word. And this is where wisdom truly comes into play. Because the wisdom of God, I want you to hear this, is not a buffet line that we get to pick and choose from. It's complete and whole. All of it. You don't get to take a piece and not another piece. You can't say, well, I love God, but I also love sin. You can't say that God is my master, but wealth and success are also my master. You can't love God and not love others. This is what actually leads to counterfeit content, right? It takes a portion of the truth and then fills in the gaps with something else. And Paul is telling us to embrace every good word of wisdom, which also means that we reject lies, counterfeits, and distortions. The beauty of this is that when we put ourselves under the healing flow of God's wisdom, the sanctification of the Spirit, and we hold to the truths and we strap them on, then we can start to identify the good words and start to identify the lies and distortions as well. But then he says not just good word, but he says it should be, should be comforted by good work as well. The same way we will start to identify good words in our life, we will easily start to see the opportunity for good works in our life. We get confused sometimes in thinking that good works means that I need to accomplish something for God. God is up there like, I got a task for you, and if you don't come through, the world may end. Right? You know, we think we're like James Bond, secret agent for God. If I don't get to the bomb in time, the world is ending, and it's up to me. God has no other plan. The truth is this. God doesn't need us to do something great for him. He has already done great things for us. Good work isn't doing something great for God. It instead is making the great works of God known to other people. This is what it means when it says that we should do the work of an evangelist. And that word evangelist and evangelical has gotten so twisted in our culture. But basically it's a spokesperson. When I say that we should do the work of evangelists, it doesn't mean that it's up to us to convert, convince, or coerce people into some religious system. Instead, it is making the greatness of God known by modeling his love, modeling his grace, and his forgiveness and hope to all mankind. It's modeling his grace and forgiveness and hope to the broken, to the hurting, and the self-loathing, to the selfish, the arrogant, and even the self-righteous. It's modeling it to the rich and to the poor, those that are different from us and those that are our neighbors, to our family, our enemies, and to the ends of the world. That's the work of an evangelist. That's the good work. It's not doing something for God. It's making the good works of God known. I want to close with this. Because Paul uses two words here that I think wrap this amazing thought up. These two words that describe what wisdom and works do in our heart. And it says... Good words and good work bring comfort and establish our hearts. What do these two words mean? Comfort here means actually to call to one side, to be comforted. Basically, if somebody come give you a hug. When you're in pain or you're, you're struggling, it's somebody to come and come, come to your side. It means that when we start to live with works and wisdom, it is calling God into our lives. It is opening the door of truth, the door of healing. It's an invitation 
And I want you to hear this. It isn't that God is waiting for us to beg him to do something for us. But he is simply waiting to be invited in, to be trusted by us, to allow him to guide us, guide our words and our work. To say, God, I need you beside me. I need you. Whatever I'm facing, I need your comfort. But it says, as we do this, we'll experience that. But it says our hearts will also be established. And this word established means it made, made stable are strengthened, are made firm. This is what God does when he comes into our pain, into our hurt, and into our sorrow. This is what he does when we invite him into the tragic derailments of our life. He doesn't judge us. He doesn't scoff at us. He doesn't rebuke us. He makes things stable. He gives us strength to stand again. He makes firm the path under our feet so that we can, we can begin to walk forward once more key thought is this. God has given us two tracks in our lives, wisdom and work. But if we don't allow them both to guide us in balance, our lives will get derailed and lawlessness will ruin and impact us. Seek wisdom. Pursue works of righteousness and move then at express speeds through life. My question for us today is this. What track are you on? Maybe you're like, I'm not on a track. My life is in the pits right now. It is derailed. And the first step of healing is understanding that. And beginning to cry out and say, God, I need help to get back on. To straighten my paths. To seek wisdom. And to seek works. And allow them to play out in my life. Would you allow wisdom and work to begin to move you forward in your life through whatever is going to come your way and hold on, strap in, and allow God to lead you through those choppy waters. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Often in a sermon like this, it's easy to identify where you are. To know whether maybe you embrace wisdom more or works more. Or your life is just, I mean, you feel like you're, the car of your life is about to get derailed. It's about to fall off the tracks. One push in one direction and it's just disaster. Or maybe you're sitting in the wreckage of derailment right now. Even in the wreckage, I want you to know today there is hope. Remember that first word, but. But. Patrick, you don't know the pain that I'm going through, but God does. Patrick, you don't know the sin in my life, but God does. Patrick, you don't know where I have failed other people, but God does. And even in those tragic moments and then when the negative influence defeat us and overwhelm us, there is a power greater than our failures. There is a power greater than than our sin. There is a power greater than the circumstances of life that fly at us. And if we will allow wisdom and works to push us forward, this powerful name, this powerful work of Christ in our lives can guide us through the most difficult and darkest places. Father, in these few moments as we close, just with a song that reminds us of the beauty of the power of 
who you are and what you've done in our lives. God, may these words that we sing, these words that we listen to, the words that we have been taught this morning, God, may they empower us to move forward. To let go of the power of the negativity in our life and hold on to the healing that you have for us.